So today is the 20th, I think, 20th of uh, July, and this is a live episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Uh, today I'm here with uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, and our first guest today, I'm not actually sure if we're going to have more, but maybe our first guest of many, is going to be uh, Vinny from uh, formerly Gift, and uh, now you're with Civic. I'm sorry, it's Vinny Lingham. <laughs> so thanks, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Adam. Good to be here. So uh, you and I were talking after your talk today about uh, the identity product that you guys are creating because you had one of the kind of the first meaningful exits from the Bitcoin space, right, with GIFT. So congratulations on that, by the way, because Thank that you. was interesting to see kind of go through the entire cycle. We haven't seen too many companies really do that successfully. So Civic is an identity play. So what are you doing with Civic? So with Civic, we're trying to create a... Um you know, the long term is a self-sovereign identification platform where people can store um, their own and be in control of their own personal information. Um, but, you know, it starts off with something which is a lot more practical in the short term, which we, we call an identity protection network. And so what we do is we give you a million dollars worth of free identity theft insurance, 24-7 support and real-time alerts from credit bureaus and our own network whenever your identity is being used. And that's that's just the starting point. And the reason we do that is because when you're trying to innovate and create these companies that are just really um, you know, progressing the world forward, you actually have to have traction. You have to have people using your product. So we felt that there was a big need for just basic identity theft protection. And uh, primarily, we're a consumer data privacy company. So all the products and services we build um, in the future are going to be centered around making sure that your identity is is protected and it's yours. And if you look at the number of data breaches today, it's a big problem. I mean, your ID information is probably on the dark web, whether you, you like want to admit it or not. And uh, so, you know, the real way that we solve this problem is you, you can't put you, know, you can't put the genie back in the in, in the lamp, so to speak. Um, but what you've got to do is make the data worthless in anyone else's hands but your own. And so, if someone else tries to use your ID information to open up a bank account or a credit card. Um, and that bank or credit card company is connected to Civic, you'll get notified on your phone and you'll be able to um, approve or decline that account before it's opened. And that's what makes Civic different, I think, to um, some of the other platforms that are trying to build identity. We, we're trying to solve a practical problem right now. So how are you using the blockchain or cryptocurrency? Because, I mean, we're here at a Bitcoin conference. I didn't hear you mention any of those things once. What's the connection? I think the, the, the secret and um, the secret to Bitcoin becoming really, really successful is that the world starts using Bitcoin without knowing that they're using Bitcoin in some way, right? So with Gift, it was very obvious to us that, that when we put, we put Bitcoin uh, as a payment method, we had a lot of people trying to use it and they failed miserably, but we had the Bitcoin community who knew how to use Bitcoin using it very successfully. And so Bitcoin as a, as a currency is limited to people right now who can use it and there are some great solutions out there like Abra that are using it in the background. And I think that, that in the short term, until the usability of Bitcoin improves and a couple other things improve, I don't think it's ready for prime time from a consumer perspective. And so we don't really talk about the, 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 the what we're using blockchain and Bitcoin for um, right now because it's just not relevant to people who are not familiar with the technology. That said, um, you know, we think that that Bitcoin and the blockchain, the biggest the biggest thing that for us that, that Bitcoin solves has been the double spend problem or the multiple transaction problem. And by using um, Bitcoins within our in our back end our technology, we can really secure our architecture and make sure your private information is secured. So I, we haven't announced what the new the new next product's going to be, but it obviously is linked to blockchain in some way, and it's going to be something which is really powerful and simple to use, and people can 
use it um, uh, in a very exciting way. And yeah, so so that's the, <laughs> I don't want to give away too much right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Andreas, yeah. do you want to jump in? Well, I think I'm good. Okay. Um, <laughs> I uh, have another question. Um, so uh, the product is intended for users as it stands right now? Or, I mean, who, who, do you, who is your customer? Is it the user and do you serve them by enabling them to protect their data? Or are you more focused on providing an authentication layer for other companies where they don't have to? Because that was why I was talking mm -hmm. to you this morning. Because we're looking for an authentication solution that kind of like the, we would be your customer as opposed to the to the client, so, or as opposed to the user. So who, who are you actually making these products for? Right now it's both, okay? So we have an API which allows any partner to plug into uh, our platform and when your social camera is being used, uh, detect that, that you are on the civic network and ping you for authorization, et cetera. So that's, uh, the answer is both. Okay. And, but primarily there's enough value for consumers because we give you the free ID theft protection for life and, and, and support and notifications that you'd want to sign up with us anyway. Um, and so we think that there's enough value on at least the consumer side for consumers to sign up. And we're obviously building out the business side um, as time progresses. But, but it's a two-sided marketplace. And we think that the world's a better place when consumers and businesses are working actively to prevent identity theft and identity fraud. And so uh, if we can do that in a way where um, it is easy uh, and, and seamless, I think that uh, we can make it make it a dent. Great. Okay, so the other thing that I want to talk about, and I'm not sure if you do, I haven't yet found anybody who wants to go on the record about it, but today is Hard Fork Day, and uh, there are some interesting implications. I talked to John McAfee after his talk this morning and got his perspective on it, and uh, I haven't actually found anybody who isn't getting money back who thinks that this is anything other than a big giant invitation for trouble. So I kind of just wanted to throw that out there and uh, get your thoughts. Today, Ethereum hard forked uh, to you know, fix the DAO uh, and to give everybody their money back, but in doing so, they demonstrated that they can, in a very non-granular way, take specific transactions or specific things that exist within the network and undo them because they want to. And I've always contended that the ability to do something is the responsibility to do it from a legal perspective when you live in a you know, civilization that has governments and things like that. So to me, this is a big giant, you know, this is a worst case scenario, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I've heard other people say that, but I haven't really heard other people willing to talk about this because it seems like there's a lot of people who are going to be upset about this type of perspective. So I don't know if you want to talk about it. I don't know if anybody else does, but I figured I'd just throw that grenade out there and leave. It, it, demonstrates, um, it demonstrates fundamental differences in the construction of the two blockchains. When most people look at Ethereum, they think it works kind of like Bitcoin. It does not. Um, Bitcoin has a system of transferable ownership of uh, UTXO, unspent transaction outputs, which are discrete units of value that are transferred through signing with witness or with signatures from one person to another. Ethereum is a ledger system, which means that it tracks balances in accounts. And, um, where in Bitcoin, if you wanted to do a hard fork that rolls back a balance from a specific account, you have to move back the units, um, the specific spendable units that have been signed over. And you can't do that without either having the private keys to sign for those transactions or putting an enormously dangerous type of hard fork that says, we will ignore signatures for this one block, which is even worse. Um, so it's, what happened in Ethereum is actually very difficult to do in Bitcoin. It would require unrolling a whole set of other transactions, because in Bitcoin transactions, 
and their implications spread out almost like a tree, right? So, um, it, or a graph, if you like. So you have a ripple effect. Yeah. Um, if I give you a coin and you give someone else a coin, they give someone else a coin, and I want to roll that back, I have to roll back the, the three transactions built on top of it. Right. In Ethereum, you can just say, add one to this balance, take one off this balance, and do it in a much more clean fashion. Now, now the question is, is clean a good thing? Or is the fact that in Bitcoin this would be messy an advantage? And the simple answer to that is it depends on the use case. And there are many applications for which very, very strong thermodynamically guaranteed immutability is an absolute must. Ethereum has clearly chosen that that is not the trade-off they want to make. Um, the trade-off instead is we want flexibility for application layer programming of these smart contracts. And that happens at the expense of this level of robust immutability. And that's fine. That's a fine trade-off. You're just saying there is no question in this space about which is the best coin. That is a ridiculous question to ask. There is no best coin. There is only which coin is fit for this purpose. And you have to define the purpose first. Ethereum is addressing a completely different set of applications for which Bitcoin is not suitable, and Bitcoin is addressing a set of applications for which Ethereum is not suitable. And so I'm not really perplexed by this. The hard fork went as planned. One of the interesting things that happened is that it demonstrated, despite all of the whining by um, some people about Ethereum Classic and the possibility of having a split fork going forward that would maintain some kind of hash rate, yeah. what we saw that the incentives to align behind the consensus chain was so huge that within an hour it was over. It was absolutely over. Now I don't think we're going to see any replay attacks. Uh, if we do see some replay attacks, I might actually strengthen. Uh, the advantage of the majority chain. Um, and ironically, this puts enormous pressure back on core in the Bitcoin space, saying, well, why can't we have a two megabyte fork? Um, and uh, again, that would be to misunderstand the differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum. I cannot argue with this man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let, let me do that then. Um, so. Again, the ability to do it, one of the whole things behind the... Okay, so, so there are a couple of different things. A lot of the conversations I've had today were basically along the lines of there are no good options, there are only two bad options, and you've got to pick the least bad of them. And basically the reason why not rolling back would be worse is because then there would be lawsuits and then there would be legal implications. And the implication is, is that because of this hard fork, none of that is going to happen. I don't see how those things are connected at all. It seems like at a fundamental level, they're... I mean, like... Right? <laughs> I think they're absolutely connected. I think um, right now what it's done is it's, is it's created, one would argue, equitable relief for the owners of the DAO token holders who were the most likely to sue. And it's uh, disadvantaged the attacker who can sue because by suing they'd reveal their identity and get into a load of trouble. So, you know, from a very practical, this is not about morality or ethics or even precedent at this stage. I think it's a very pragmatic decision and in a practical sense this was the least worst option. Um, and they had to take action before July 21st, and they did. 
And now we can look at what happens next. I mean, this is going to be instructive. Uh, we can argue about the theory of whether it should have been done or could have been done or whatever, but one of the beauty, one of the beautiful things about working in the cryptocurrency space is we are doing live in vivo experiments at scale with real stakes and real actors, and that's the only way to test this. Everything else is just theory. Um, Ethereum is now doing a large-scale demonstration of how to do this. Um, if they succeed, it's going to be a great lesson for everyone. If it creates precedents that are negative, that's going to be a great lesson for everyone. If they fail, it's going to be a great lesson for everyone, yeah. no matter what. A lot of learning built in. A lot of learning built in. And at this point, this is the main value that all of these systems are delivering. And that's learning. They're not delivering great investments. They're not delivering great applications yet. They're not delivering. All they're delivering is grand experiments. And from that comes learning. Great. Okay, so one more time here. <laughs> Let me push back a little bit. All right, so you commented that the uh, ease by which this was pulled off, right, the smoothness of it. Again, conversations I've been having today suggest that the reason that's the case is because the only people who mattered for this were large stakeholders, and those large stakeholders are mine pool operators, uh, mining pool operators, and uh, exchanges. And if you get those, then yes, you're right, all of the economics go that way. But that also brings us right back to that problem that you would have with Bitcoin if it had that granularity of ability to go in and be like, just these, but not everything that came after, right? So, right. Long, as, so long as you have that granularity and you have the small group of people who can actually make it happen, then that's the problem. That's the problem is you've now identified the people within your system and it's a small group and it doesn't affect everybody. That's the thing is if it was messy, it would be a really like it you it wouldn't matter necessarily, right, if there are only six mining pools out there because everybody's going to be inconvenienced by it. Everybody except for those people uh, who are being pressured has an incentive to move to a version of the blockchain that just excludes them effectively and causes a hard fork in the other direction from what the intended one is. But if you have the ability to both be granular in your selection of what you're censoring as opposed to the entire thing, um, and you have the ability to identify those parties, then again, like how do the governments, if there's like illegal DAO, right? If illegal DAO comes out and people put money into that, how does that not get taken off? How are those, how are those parties that have the ability to be pressured, not pressured necessarily if there's any sort of success? Well, what you're saying, bottom line, is that Ethereum is less de decentralized in year one than, than Bitcoin is in year seven. And, and that has now been proven to be the case. Um, but part it of matters the, more for, for Ethereum but because does, of the granularity. Well, we don't know whether it matters more. And I think that argument is going to play out over the next few years. Because again, it's about these trade-offs, right? So um, in the end, Ethereum is uh, basically filling a different niche, and in that niche, maybe decentralization doesn't matter as much, and censorship resistance doesn't matter as much, and immutability doesn't matter as much, because what you buy with all of those things is uh, an enormous ecosystem of dApps that deliver a lot more value to end users for specific use cases. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I think what it does is it allows us to test a different point in the spectrum of centralization to decentralization and functionality versus security than the one that Bitcoin is testing. And in fact, if Ethereum was simply testing the same point in the spectrum as Bitcoin, then it wouldn't differentiate enough to beat the network effect of Bitcoin, and it would fail. 
it, in order to beat Bitcoin's network effect, you have to differentiate strongly. And if you differentiate strongly on the spectrum of functionality versus security, immutability versus functionality, and um, decentralization versus centralization, you have the opportunity to fill a niche with different applications that Bitcoin cannot fill. Ethereum needs to do that to beat network effect. Will that niche be valuable enough to overcome the disadvantages of having censorship? Maybe. That we don't know. But it's clear that effectively we're agreeing here, which is that yes, Ethereum has made these very clear trade-offs to go in a different direction than uh, Bitcoin. The real question is: Is that a valuable direction? I think. Let me. If I add something, my simple observation of the space is 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 one way. You know. I think the points have kind of been made already, but Bitcoin fears no lawsuits, and Ethereum does. Mm. And so, if you ask the question, okay, which is a freer system? It's kind of obvious. And the fact that the fear of lawsuits could force a hard fork in Ethereum, but it's impossible to force a hard fork in Bitcoin, should tell us something. Well, it, it should tell us that perhaps Ethereum is designed for applications where um, there's a lower probability of lawsuits. And, and the, the nice thing is that those will self-select. Yeah. If you want to do something that is... It's the open bazaar, no security uh, for right. people doing illegal stuff argument. Bingo. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so that's how it's going to play out. This is an open ecosystem. We're going to see companies gravitate to Ethereum that want the flexibility and are not afraid of the lawsuits because they don't do things that might attract lawsuits. Well, it's not even about that. It's also about, I think, um, you know, you look at a civil rights issue as well. Like you know, if you think about it, like um, with with Bitcoin uh, in particular, if and this is why you know we we look at Bitcoin and we look at um, all these platforms out there. If we're building a, so, a self sovereign identity platform, right? The last thing you want to have is a situation where you th you feel you're in control of your identity and your information, but a government can access it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people who are you know, leaving. Parts of the world where governments are really oppressing them. The last thing they want is to be part of a system where governments could actually control or take away their identity and who they are. And so, these are things we we think about and we consider is like how do you build something which is when you say self-sovereign, truly self-sovereign. And when I look at you know, Ethereum versus you know Bitcoin, I, I, I fear that because people are fear fearful of maybe. It doesn't matter if you're in the U.S. It doesn't matter if you're in part of parts of the world where, in theory, you know, we have a proper court system, proper legal system. But there are other parts of the world where you get thrown in jail without a trial, right? Right. Yeah. And and so what you're saying is that for the application called Liberty, yeah, um, the best chain is uh, Bitcoin. Absolutely. And I would agree with you on that. Absolutely. But not everybody is interested in the Liberty application. I, I, I get right. That. And I, I agree. Um, with you on that. Okay. <laughs> so let me throw one more thing. We in there. agree. So uh, that wasn't what Ethereum was supposed to be, though. I mean, like you, your all of your arguments might be correct. But uh, until Bitcoin very used to be, Bitcoin was supposed to be a one CPU, one vote system, and things evolve because they change. Because when the rubber hits the road, the reality imposes a different set of constraints, and people change their minds as to what this is. I think the mistake is to assume that you know what this thing will be while it's changing, and it was a mistake to assume that Bitcoin could be a one CPU, one vote system, that Bitcoin could be a payment system for every cup of coffee on the planet at mm -hmm. scale, um, while still maintaining the Liberty application, mm -hmm. right? And we're learning now that perhaps it can't be those Trade things. Off. And 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 Ethereum is going to continue to make 
make trade-offs. Mm -hmm. All of these systems continue exactly. to evolve. They are not finished. And to predict their finished form is to show disrespect for the process of market-based evolution. Um, and the point is that Saint Satoshi uh, can be wrong, and Saint Vitalik can be wrong too. And in the end, the only thing that can be right is the market, because it decides what these things are going to be. And we're just going to have to sit back and accept reality, um, because reality has this nasty habit of not caring if you believe in it or not, uh, and not caring if you think it was going to be something that it isn't. I couldn't agree with Andreas anymore. And I will say that, that when it comes to the market, it's very clear to me and maybe few, clearer to other people, but the market has spoken. I mean, there is a reason that, that the Bitcoin price sits at the 600 level versus where Ethereum is right now. And you look at the other coins out there. And, and by the way, given the levels of liquidity of some of these coins, these coins, the notional price of these coins is not the, the, the is not reflective of the real. Like, you, you, yeah. if you try Big to numbers. sell, yeah, if you try and dump, I mean, this is what I, I've said now, and, and I'll go on the record on this point. I think that with these Ethereum holders getting Ethereum back from the DAO, you can get a lot of these guys saying, you know what? Because remember, in their minds, they had X amount of thousands or millions of dollars in their head, and then all of a sudden, it was worth zero. And that, they're erratic. Now they're like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go and cash out because I can't afford to live, lose my house, my pension, whatever they've put in there. And so you're going to get a lot of selling pressure on the Ethereum price the moment those coins are releasing back into the marketplace. The price is going to tank temporarily. 12 bucks is nothing right now. I think it can go down to five, and I've said that before. So I think it can really tank, and people are going to be buying Bitcoin with that. And because Bitcoin is a store of value. And, uh, it's and, ironic because two months ago we had a massive exodus from Bitcoin. At least that's what people were saying yeah. because Bitcoin <laughs> had governance problems yeah. that they couldn't yeah. solve yeah. and Ethereum had solved governance problems. So guess what? It's easy to solve governance problems when you have no contentious issue and exactly. no money at stake. Exactly. And, and as soon as you had a contentious issue and money at yeah. stake, guess what? Ethereum has governance problems. And by the way, as soon as you have scale... You're going to have scaling problems soon, Ethereum. <laughs> there is no grass is greener here. Yeah. So um, these things will ebb and flow. People will be fickle. They'll they'll leave Bitcoin to go to Ethereum. They'll leave Ethereum to go back to, to Bitcoin. And you're going to have this flow in and out. But the interesting thing is in all of this, we're actually adding people to the entire cryptocurrency space every single day. Mm -hmm. So both Bitcoin well, and Ethereum are winning. My, my only concern sorry, with that is, uh, I think there are a lot of, you know, again, I've spoken about this before, Ponzi schemes that are out there, people getting introduced to cryptocurrencies in the wrong way. And I'm looking forward to that coming down. But, but when, it, when you look at the application of the different cryptos, uh, I think we should all agree that Bitcoin as a store of value is its primary application right now. Like it's, it's storing value better than any other crypto. Would you say that's fair? To a certain extent. I think the, the first and most important killer app for Bitcoin continues to be speculation. I would say store value <laughs> is the second. Yeah, sure. um, but that's fine. Sure. I mean, both are very valuable. Yep. So we're joined by Pamela Morgan for a last comment. Uh, well, I just wanted to jump back to something that you said, Adam, and, and that is that, you know, the perception of what Ethereum is, uh, I, I agree with you on that. I think that um, from my perception, you know, Ethereum was sold as a lot of different things and we had all of these ideas. And I think the most interesting thing about what's happened is now Ethereum has been forced to define itself. And what happens when it's forced to define itself means that there's now a gap. There's a gap between what Bitcoin offers and what Ethereum offers. And now we see this 
gap and we see an opportunity for someone else to come in and serve that role. I can tell you that, um, I can't tell you the name of the project, but I was working on a, on a project that is no longer going forward on Ethereum because of the hard fork, because the project needs immutability, just as you mentioned earlier about identity and government. And so there's this opportunity there. And by, by forcing these decisions, by having these things happen, Ethereum has been forced to say, okay, this is who we are, and now we understand what it is. So the, the bottom line here is that the um, slogan that we heard loud and clear over the last three months, Ethereum can do everything that Bitcoin can do, but not the other way around. And now you have to do comma, except thermodynamically guaranteed immutability, which it can't do. Uh, and, and that's a really important differentiator. What it allowed us to do is really refocus what is the primary differentiator of Bitcoin? What is the primary killer feature of Bitcoin? Planetary scale, thermodynamically guaranteed immutability. Nothing else does that.